Welcome to Kindly Gifted. I'm your host, Kate Tarantiva, and I can't wait to unwrap the world of influence with you. Every day, your gifted episodes, see what I did there, to help you become fluent in the business of creativity and learn the best kept industry secrets to creating an online presence worth remembering. It's really like having a momager on speed dial. So let's dive into it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm excited to introduce Gigi today to the show. She's so awesome. You're a body positive person. You're a content creator. You're like in the NFT space. You have a small business. Like there's so many things that you are. We could start by you introducing who you are and we can dive into some really cool topics like mental health and the creator space and how you built your presence and your influence across social media. Sure. Thanks for having me. That was a great intro. And (laughs) I think one of the biggest things that I am a real proponent of is being multi-hyphenate and not fitting inside of a box and being okay with a million titles. Like I think that's actually more fun. I, I used to always people always used to say like oh like you can't be a jack of all trades or like a jill of all trades because that means you're a master of none but like the quote actually continues it's jack of all trades is a master of none but oftentimes better than a master of one and people always forget that part and so I just make it very clear that people should remember it that it's good to be uh well versed in different areas and I think it helps you exercise muscles in different ways uh, mental muscles I guess in different situations and use different things that you may not have have known before so anyway but just a little bit about me I'm a born and raised New Yorker I'm 24 going on 25 in a couple months so that's kind of crazy and exciting uh (laughs) I went to the University of Southern California for my BFA in fine art design and storytelling. And then I got my master's of science in innovation uh, design and technology. So I love USC. Fight on to any Trojans listening. And if not, fight on anyway. Um, I came back home during COVID. Uh, home is New York City, and I still live with my mom and dad, shamelessly. A lot of people don't even realize that because I don't really share my family online that much. And so I'm like in my room, which people are like, oh my God, where in the city are you? And I'm like, literally, I live in Riverdale. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I think that's funny. And then I uh, own a business called It's GGLLC. It's where I run all my speaking, media partnerships, consulting, and, uh, you know, just any kind of public facing things out of. And we just pump out good, positive, thoughtful content for brands in ways that are unique and different than maybe other creators are doing partnerships. So not a like, oh my God, here's this lipstick. I'm so cute. But it's more like, hey, like, do you want to feel confident? Let me tell you a hack about it. And then it's like putting on the lipstick while you're doing it. So it's really incorporating the product into your lifestyle rather than like clouding up the product. Um, so that's a little bit about me. 
you've you've accomplished so much also as a creator I mean you're about to go on a speaking tour and release a book soon but let's work backwards how did you get into being a creator and starting in this world yeah well Part of my story is that I have suffered from chronic health issues for my whole life, and I got diagnosed at a time where I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, actually, and do competitive swimming, and my doctors were like, you got to find something else. You can't do this anymore much longer, Mm -hmm. and so I resorted to art and photography, and then over the years, I became the person that was putting in those, what was it, like 10,000 hours, 100,000 hours to become a master at it and really know cameras inside and out and know the setting and be able to do different lighting situations and really pull out the confidence from anyone at any time. And so I just really got good at that. And then I got to USC and was like, oh, like somebody didn't show up one day and I just like set it on self-portrait mode on self-timer and I jumped in front and was like, oh, I could do this. And instead of uh, shooting the content for the brand as the artist, I also was the talent. And at the same time, I joined a social media club called USC Reach on campus, which was and is, I believe, the first of its kind. Uh, It still exists today, six years later, which is so awesome. (laughs) And, you know, we've had hundreds of members go through it, but it's really just a community of people who have their hands in social media, whatever way possible. So I was again, like a photographer at first, then I started getting in it. Then I started making funny videos uh, on Facebook for our USC reach page, like our college page. And then after that, I also started getting like student jobs as brand ambassador working really as a field marketing agent is what I would call it, where you're doing little pop-ups and throwing parties with budgets and uh, inviting people on behalf of brands like TikTok, Tinder, Abercrombie, so on and so forth. And I did 13 of those throughout my collegiate time at USC, which is kind of bananas, but I did it because (laughs) I needed money. And then I also, at the same time, was interning for I was interning for Paramount and Warner Bros and Movers and Shakers kind of like all through 2020, uh, really understanding social media from the, I think, corporate entertainment side of things because I thought that was really interesting. And then COVID happened and I came home and Warner Bros had paid us out. Uh, Coincidentally, I had, uh, you know, talked to Evan from Movers and Shakers, who's the CEO, and I... It, it just happened. And he was, it was literally, I was the fifth person on the team and he was like, do you want a job? And I was like, yeah. So I just worked as a TikTok marketing consultant for them uh, for six months. And then I had to finish my degree because I took a medical reduced course load so I could finish in the fall and really focus. And in that next, after that movers and shakers era, where I saw again, the campaign side of things, um, some of the campaigns, funny enough, were with the team that I had worked on at digital marketing in Warner Bros. So it was very full circle. Overlap. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was how I found them in the first place because they made the Scoob, uh, the Scoob dance challenge. And oh. I like did it. And then I was like in the on the Scoob channel, like in the mix, and everyone was like, oh my God, Gigi. And then uh for the tenant challenge that happened, that was my idea. And you know, it got executed. And it was just so, so cool to see from that end. But uh then I was also like, wait, but like I'm coming up with these ideas. Like I should just continue to be a creator. And this was also, again, in 2020 when 
there was a lot of social injustice happening and a lot of stuff being posted online. And I was like, this is so dark. Like, how can we be positive in some ways? And so I focused on getting as many partnerships under my belt as I could and spreading as much positive content as I could. And that leads me to December 16th, 2020, where I basically graduated and started my LLC and told my parents I was enrolling in my master's degree on the same day. I was like, not getting that job I told you I was getting. I'm going (laughs) back to school and working for myself. And they were like, uh, because like they didn't understand this world at that time. It was always something I did like for fun. Uh, And then all of 2021, I just really honed in on the partnerships and uh, sticking to things, doing more speaking engagements. And then I started connecting with the teams at Big Social. So the LinkedIn creators team reached out to me and was like, yeah, we see you posting. Like, do you want to be in our creator network? I was like, bet. I don't really know what that means, but like, I'll do it. Uh, Someone from Facebook reached out to me and was like, hey, we see your verified creator in entertainment. And, you know, would you, would you like to chat with us? And I was like, is this real? Am I getting catfished? And then I got Mm -hmm. invited uh, to the YouTube uh, creator program as well that same time. And then slowly after that was Spotify, Pinterest. Uh, Twitter is like a little bit up there, but uh, you know, it's, it, it just all kind of happened and they found me and I was like, okay, I guess this is cool. And then in 2022, Uh, I was a part of the Sports Illustrated Swim Search and they kind of, you know, liked my mission of spreading positivity, especially around body confidence and around chronic illness and mental health advocacy. And so we, you know, worked together for that. It was absolutely full circle because I'd looked up to USI since my diagnosis all the way back over a decade ago and had been following him and dreamt. So I, I can't tell you how I dreamt about being his assistant on a set one day. And there I was on my SI shoot for my mission, following my passion. And he's the one shooting it on the other side of the camera. Like you, I, I, I can't ask for a better full circle moment. There may be more. I hope there's more out there, but that was really up there for me is like a bucket list. And the rest is just kind of unfolded all 2022. I just really focused on continuing to educate myself, educate others, do more speaking, do more collaborating with nonprofits and meaningful uh, speaking opportunities, as well as leaning into the creator economy, because I am very knowledgeable about that. Um, and I I do really enjoy it. I, I don't necessarily think like, yes, I'm a creator, but I, I think I honestly have more of a, a voice in the creator economy than a lot of other creators. I'm kind of like, it's more of like an academic kind of reporting on it in some ways. And so right. there may or may not be some additions of me talking about that this year uh and then yeah that led me to to now and writing my book going around the country speaking going to Yale next week so I'm like it's all happening that's really exciting congratulations how are you doing this and juggling having a chronic illness if you're okay to talk about that yeah absolutely I mean it's been a long journey and something I think has been really important was about the way that I prioritize my life and the different values that I put uh, kind of like first. So throughout college and my master's the past, you know, four or five years have really been like academics and social life and then work and then 
like relationships and family and then my health versus now, um, you know, I, I had a surgery in December and they end up finding endometriosis, which is very common for women. One in 10 women have it, unfortunately, but it takes between, I think, seven and nine years on average to find and like diagnose, which is just disastrous. Like for me, it took 13 years. Um, but you know, since that I, I was forced to put my health first and in putting that first, I've been on a sleep regimen where I've been going to sleep at the same time every night, waking up at the same time every day, getting rid of coffee and doing matcha instead, um, you know, eating cleaner, like more, more salads, at least one or two salads a day. Um, you know, gluten being gluten-free has really helped me and my food sensitivities. And I also am vegan now, which I was mostly plant-based before, but, uh, I actually got also allergy tested and they're like, yeah, by the way, you're allergic to meat. Like quite literally you're allergic to meat. You were bit by a tick and it changed your blood. And it's, it's a real thing. It's called alpha gal, um, allergy syndrome, which is kind of funny because like, I feel like I am like an alpha. That is a really, yeah. I was about to say a really interesting (laughs) name. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, it's fitting, but, uh, in all seriousness, I think it's helped me really prioritize my body and get myself on a track where I'm able to do things I wasn't able to do before, like the laundry, like making my bed, like I'm craving exercise. And so honestly, a lot of that is, I mean, my morning routine is 6.15 to 8 o'clock. So that's almost two hours where I'm waking up, I'm sweating in my sauna blanket, I'm doing my cold shower in the morning, I'm doing a meditation or visualization exercise, Uh, then I'm making my matcha, I'm making my vegetables in the morning, and then I may be going for a walk after and and not just driving right into my emails. And then my nighttime routine is like I start my wind down, I light a candle, I might journal, I might shower again, Um, you know, really doing things that are for me and me only has been really, really beneficial to helping me detach from online. Um, Another thing I do is when I post, I just leave the app. Like I don't stay on the app at all. I'm not like a big scroller unless I'm like looking for nail designs, to be honest with you. But yeah, overall, I think that's been something that's really helped me. And honestly, it was just a mindset shift. It was like, if you want to feel better, you're going to have to prioritize that. And if that takes three hours of your day, then like that takes three hours of your day. But truthfully, like this is also a new era for me because I never felt the way that I feel right now due to the surgery that I had, which again, took years. So I don't know, just it's, it's, it's a big life change for me right now. And I'm still going to different doctor's appointments like one or two times a week and it's it's less than five times which it was at one point so i'm i'm grateful that i'm just on the up and up yeah. uh and putting my health over anything online is extremely beneficial oh 100% yeah i relate very much um i have crohn's so also chronic illness girly there's going to be a lot of people that have never heard this before on the show 134 episodes later but yeah i completely understand it it's not necessarily a weakness. It's just something that you have to readapt to and work around, especially because yeah, if you have a chronic illness, you can't do certain things and that's just period, like period, like you just can't. And mm-hmm. sometimes you wake up yeah. and like, I had so many plans today and like half of them are going to have to be canceled because I feel like shit. And if I go out into the world, I'm now like possibly ruining 
the relationships and interactions that I'm going to have today. So I'm just not going to go do those things and prioritize myself instead. But yeah, not a lot of people talk about that. And I think it's because they haven't experienced something. And that's a huge privilege to not have to experience Mm -hmm. something that forces you to shift your life completely upside down and have to readjust as an adult or a young adult with, you know, a chronic illness. Yeah, totally. I think, I don't know if you're familiar with spoon theory or like, I I usually talk about it in terms of a battery, like people with chronic health issues usually start at 75% where everyone else starts at a hundred. And so just, it's like the, the 25% out of their day is already gone when they wake up because of their, their health. They're already starting out hurting or in pain and their mind is focused on literally just like getting up and getting out of the house when when you're on pain and it might take you more energy than it would take somebody else to walk to the bus or to commute into the city or to you know travel or to get on zoom calls and be sitting down all day without taking breaks I mean everyone should be taking breaks from those kinds of things but uh you know it's it's definitely reframing I think and it's really hard for a lot of people to understand like oh well it's all about like your life choices it's all about what you eat it's all about how you exercise and it's like no like it sometimes this stuff just happens and we just have to find a way to deal with it and a way to really like live our life as best we can and if that means canceling plans hopefully the people in your life are like a-okay with it like life happens and I think more than anything after COVID people maybe are realizing that and on the note of hustle culture I think um you know, USC was work hard, play hard, like very hustle culture. Like, oh like, hey, how you doing today, Bob? And then they're like, oh, I stayed up all night. I wrote an all-nighter. I'm literally just like so exhausted. I'm doing too much. And it's like, whoa, that's a real problem. And like we almost glamorized it like you were saying. And it was like a badge of honor that we were wearing. That's like, I am on the e-board and I'm in the sorority and I have two internships and also a part-time job. And also I'm an honor student taking a full course. So it's like, oh my God, like I can't believe that I put myself through that. And nobody was like, oh, why don't you consider scaling back? It yeah, the advice is always yeah. like, you need to add more. You're not doing enough. Like you need to put yeah. them on your plate. You need to do yeah. that. It's the same thing now, like out of college, but in the entrepreneurship space as well. If you have a business, it's like, what you, why aren't you staying up till four in the morning working on this? It's like, cause I don't fucking wanna, I don't know. Yeah. Like, and I can't, I can't period. Like I don't owe any other additional explanation, yeah. but there's just this glamorization. Like you're saying that yeah. there's like, you need to always be doing more. And then you also have to juggle that with a love life and having mm-hmm. a social life and all these additional things and winning awards. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and also it's like, in some ways, if you slow down, quote unquote, slow down in our industry, it's like, you could be done tomorrow if people aren't engaging and like, you know, right now fashion week's happening in New York and like, I'm going to a couple things, but I'm being very intentional and mindful last in September, I did fashion week and I went to 18 different events over five days. And that's, yeah, literally, exactly. It's like, how many times did you eat? Probably not very. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. It was like, I was eating bars and I was like, this is not healthy. Right. And so I'm just like really being intentional of like, I'm getting invited to things, but I'm like, I'm not going to go bend over backwards to go backstage before a show at nine o'clock when the show starts at 10 o'clock at night, when my bedtime is eight 30, like that's just not happening for me. And so 
I honestly just think that it's really about those priorities and those boundaries. And for me, that's like taking the back seat this time around. Is it always going to be like this? No, but like the more selective you are with your time and energy, the I think the easier it becomes for the right things to come your way. Yeah. Which a lot of people think doing more is the way to get that access. But let me tell you, every time I've pushed myself to go to something, to meet someone, um, you know, big or to meet someone in the industry, nothing has fucking come from it. Right. If people want to work with you and if they want an opportunity to be around your energy, they are going to either pay you or they're going to pay someone else to like reach out to you through like an agency, right? Or they're going to send you a car to be like, okay, we'll do anything to have you here. Right. And for me, when I put that boundary up, literally that that shit happens. And it's like, do I, do I need to like go to every single event? No, but because I'm selective, I get to choose that. And I hold that power instead of it having be the other way around. And it creates more space for you to focus your energy on doing things that you want to do. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I totally agree. Especially there's the thing that you mentioned earlier about how if you dial back, if you're running the risk of not being invited to things or not being relevant, there's such a fear specifically in the industry of influence that, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be relevant. So I need to go to all these things and I need to go and meet people. And then, yeah, you walk events and you're like, shouldn't have pushed myself. Should have just like, let it happen. Cause at places where you force things, that's where you're like, I mean, I met them, but like, nothing's going to come from that whatsoever. And I sacrificed like a meal or sleep or whatever to do this thing that ultimately is not going to to return in whatever way it is that I was expecting. So it's like, yeah, I completely understand that there's this pressure. It's an interesting like topic that you brought up. Cause I, I see that also with creators going to things that are completely off brand. And I'm like, I Oh my God. Yeah. Because you think that just because you go that they're going to invite you to something else, or you're going to be relevant, or now you're going to receive X, Y, Z out of it. And yeah. It's yeah. A very interesting I mean, I've grappled with that too, especially as I was getting invited to all these fashion week things because I was an SI model, not because of the work that I did, but because I worked with SI and I was SI adjacent and like, I'm like, well, fashion isn't something that like, like I love fashion. I I grew up in New York city and New York city is like a huge space for fashion. It always has been, but at the same time, I was just like, is, am I enjoying this? Like, is this right? And like, then, you know, by the end of it, I had another full circle moment where I was at the blonde show And I'm like waiting outside and I look up and I see Nigel Barker and I did a double take and I was literally like, and he was, I was like, can I like come say hi? And he was like, yeah. So I like went and said hi and was just like, honestly, you've been such an inspiration to me over the years. And now we're like Instagram friends and he sent me stuff from his sustainable brand. Yes. And, and literally like he follows me on Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a fangirl. And again, he's been someone that shaped me and, and my journey as an artist. And then to meet at a fashion show was like so spontaneous and serendipitous for me. And I was just like, wow, maybe I am in the right place. 
Like yeah. I'm meeting an idol of mine, an, an incredible world renowned photographer I'm meeting and they're recognizing me and they're like, yeah, like I know you, I see your potential. Right. Like, what? That's crazy. crazy. So long story short, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I do think it's worth putting yourself in those new scenarios because you never know what can come out of it. I mean, I could model down the line for him also, which would be, I would die. I would pass away. I'm I'm done. I'm leaving the building now. Yeah. That's a good piece of advice for sure. Go to things, but don't feel like you have to go because you're either looking open to opportunity or because it genuinely applies to whatever it is that you're doing. That makes a lot of sense. I also wanted to ask, cause I know that you're Gen Z, um, like very Gen Z and it's <laughs> kind of curious cause you're like college was like not that long ago and I'm sitting here and I'm like, Oh, college was so long ago for me. I'm curious how you see Gen Z behaving towards influencers. It's not like an unfamiliar concept to me, but just like from somebody who's actually part of that generation and also using social media from that perspective and the way that you see Gen Z reacting towards influencers in ways that was different several years ago and how you see that your generation behaves on social media, these kinds of behaviors that are maybe like slightly different than the millennial, the millennials. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely interesting. I think that in a lot of ways, they're interested in using social media as a tool for marketing, PR, advertising, acting, singing. It's it's a vehicle that can accelerate you to where you want to go, right? Like had I not joined Reach and had I not been posting my Instagram content from my photography from high school, I wouldn't have gotten into reach. If I didn't get into reach, then I wouldn't have gotten my hands wet with these brand and brand ambassador partnerships. If I didn't do that, it wouldn't have accelerated my interest in the entertainment world. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been interested in understanding media literacy and how that applies to social media. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to be so articulate about it because I hadn't have researched it. And then I wouldn't have started talking about it. So I think it really is something that for me, like, truly fundamentally has shaped the the way that I view the world, right? It's it's a matter, it's a tool. And I think unfortunately, a lot of the the younger half of Gen Z, right? Like the older half, we're already in the workforce. Half right. of Gen Z is already working nine to fives or doing whatever they want. The other half is they're still kids. They're teenagers. They're in high school. And I think that when you're in high school, it's it's kind of challenging to really pin down and understand the impact that the social media is having on you. So I know like Snapchat was like a big means of communication back in the day. And it still is for a lot of these kids. It's But even so, you think about something like Snap Maps and you look at where all your friends are. And if you're not invited to something, it's affecting your mental health. And there's a lot of this, uh, you know, I think this, that's this... so crazy that you say that because I'm 27. So I'm on the cusp of like Gen mm-hmm. millennial very much resonate with like Gen Z more than my millennial counterparts, but like Snapchat feeling left out using snap maps is fucking mind blowing to me because snap maps was like, not really a cool thing when we mm-hmm. Snapchat mm-hmm. first came out, like mm-hmm. remember as well. So you don't get FOMO because your friends are at a dive bar three blocks down the street. You're just like, mm, okay, cool. They're there. Probably going to turn this off because hashtag privacy. 
but now people are feeling left out, which is super interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like it was like Instagram stories of people are like Instagram storying back in the day, which by the way, like Honestly, like, I don't think Snapchat gets enough credit because Snapchat has, Snapchat invented short form video, Snapchat invented Snap Stories, and everyone else copied it. Like, I think it's really interesting, like, how in terms of like the short form video scroll, like, that was obviously TikTok and Musically did that, but like, Snapchat did jump on that bandwagon. They also have a really interesting way to like archive and create memories for people. And I think something that I kind of thought about recently is that social media is really making it easy for younger people to get information, but not necessarily retain it on their own. And therefore the breadth is wider, but it's not as deep. And I think older generations were forced, like you and I, like I'm 24, like we were forced to do that research. We were forced to use like real tangible sources. We were forced to not just like Google something on TikTok, right? Right. Um, and so it, it kind of worries me about the way that they're using it mostly because there's no training and there's no like teachers that can be like, hey, like stop using the AI or like stop scrolling on TikTok, like actively like, you know, focus on just like getting the work done and like doing the research and they just like aren't interested in it. So I'm, I'm really worried about uh, our younger half and Gen Alpha and, and all of that. But in terms of like marketing and advertising and whatnot, like we've all seen this whole new de-influencer thing. And I just think that's the same idea as greenwashing. Like, I think people are going to say like, yeah, it's like, oh, like you want to like say like, here's a reason like not to use a product or like, don't mind me just like using it, but like, I'm not influencing you. Like, it's just the same as being like, this is a sustainable shirt from American Eagle when it's like not, you know? Yeah. I mean, it existed before always. It always existed. It's like the, this isn't sponsored. I really genuinely love it. And it's like, well, now I'm thinking, why are are you, so when you do a sponsored ad, does that mean you don't love the product? It places those certain things in my mind. And again, it's hard for me to detach because I'm in live, love, laugh marketing 24 seven. So there may be certain things that from the consumer perspective, that doesn't resonate the same way, but the de-influencing thing, I've seen so many videos in the past couple of days where it's like, I'm going to try de-influencing. Maybe don't say that. I also think another (laughs) part of it is like, if you're authentic to your brand, your audience will like it. Like it, like, For me, like I've always said, like I literally live, laugh, love cameras. Like I always have, they're literally always right next to me at all times. I always have a camera next to me, whether it's my Nikon vlog camera or my full frame camera or my mirrorless camera. Like I am a geek. I I have so much gear um, and I may or may not be doing something with like Nikon this year. So like, watch out. Like chit chat off camera about cameras because I've so many questions. (laughs) Yeah, I love cameras, and for me, I think I've always made it clear to brands that when they pay for me, they're not only paying for like my platform, but they're paying for the quality of content. And I've been so firm over the years of like when you when I do an ad, it's gonna be a photo shoot. Like you're gonna get. 4k photos you're not gonna get just get like an iphone photo and part of that is because people know me to my core and photography has been such a part of my journey and it's a passion of mine that i've been so firm on that but a lot of influencers will bend to fit the mold um i've had a lot of conversations with talent agents and you know i i've done trials and part of it was like it's not working because you're not doing enough get ready with me and i'm like 
if I did a get ready with me, my audience would be like, this is fake. And also, so like, just cause somebody else is doing it does not mean that we need to like hop on the bandwagon. If it makes sense to your strategy and your personal brand, maybe sure there's a way to incorporate it. But if you're like, well, I don't get why I would do that. Right. Your audience is going to say the same exact yeah. thing. Yeah. And part of the problem is that honestly, I don't think people are good storytellers. Like the problem with the creator economy is that people are able to enter the market at literally a, a free cost and they're able to potentially like make videos that they can go viral and build an audience and make an income off of, which I think is fantastic. But at the same time, I don't think people really are telling good stories. I think they're able to create a viral video and that doesn't necessarily mean that they have or hold influence. And right. I think it's really interesting that, you know, becoming an influencer or a YouTuber is one of the highest, most wanted jobs for these young kids, but they don't understand the repercussions of it. On average, I'm pretty sure creators make around between seventy-five and a hundred thousand dollars. And of that, only ninety-six percent. Only 96% makes that. So 4% of people in the creator economy make above $100,000. Think about that. There's about 300 million creators out there. And so that is a part of the problem because the market is oversaturated right now. I don't think that people truly understand the impact that it's going to have on their mental health, working in social media, working even in marketing or advertising. It's tough because your work is based on numbers. And if your numbers aren't performing, that affects your self-confidence and your self-worth because you're not getting the validation on something that you created, right? And maybe that's just me being a woman, like getting attached to my work. But like factually, I think when your post does well, you're like, oh my God, my post is doing so well. It has blah, 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 blah views. Your dopamine goes up. You're like, your your yeah. serotonin levels go up. You're so happy. And then the next day you post something and it doesn't do as well and it tanks. You're like, oh, I'm going to delete it. It didn't do good. And your whole day could be racked about it. And yeah, people aren't is- looking at that. They're yeah. not. And I have scary. this conversation a lot with creators because when you like look at them, like, mar- so I'm an art director in marketing and advertising. And for us, it's, you don't get attached to your ideas. Like it's constantly like, I'm not married to anything. So the validation, of course, this doesn't apply to everybody, but generally speaking, you don't feel that same, like, oh my God, like same kind of energy that creators feel when a video blows up. So something that the creators talk about as well, in terms of having your worth be associated with performance that you can't control to a certain extent, and then allowing that to like, essentially control your worth. There's got to be some way where you figure out how to distance yourself from your ideas where like, this is good and I'm proud of it, but if it doesn't perform the way I want it to, I need to understand that it's either a, a strategy thing. So I need to change something within the strategy, whether it's editing and production or whether it's the script or the delivery, what have you, depending on what applies, or it's like, is it the algorithm? And mm-hmm. is it within the algorithm, like how much of it can I control? Plot twist, not much. So you have to like either be open to trying new things with your strategy or accepting it and letting it go. So I think that's, yeah, again, I, I don't know if that's like something that you really learn as a creator, unless you have that experience working within brands and pitching those ideas and being shot down all the time. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's taught. And I think there does need to be some kind of like social media literacy awareness and um, there needs to be more firm, you know, 
I, I don't know, just more firm like discussions about this to younger kids because a lot of times like it just it's not talked about. I think there's a lot to learn about like Gen Z with marketing and what they enjoy but at the same time they're still kids so it's like why are we analyzing what kids are buying like kids like I don't know I the only stuff that I could buy when I was a teenager was like at Bloomingdale's like with my mom's credit card like I wasn't like buying stuff myself that was like oh yeah like I can shop like crazy but I think this whole thing with TikTok has made it just so accessible to want something and to feed into capitalism and to be like I need these because I think it's going to improve my life when like really it's just capitalism you know yeah 100 percent. yeah that is very interesting you're right technically they don't really have a lot of buying power it's more so the parents so yeah it's a good point (laughs) and 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 tiktok and short form video and the world of influence definitely is working I mean you see something and it's like oh I've been wanting that oh yeah like my friends the other day were like, what was the last thing you bought from TikTok? Or like something like that. Like that was like a fun icebreaker. And I was like my hatch, like alarm clock. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And also the Skims viral black dress. Like I bought the long sleeve and I bought the skit spaghetti strap because I wore the long sleeve and was like, wow, body, yada, yada. But I was also like, is this because it's so hyped up and I'm already convinced that it's going to look good? Because let me tell you, it's a cheap piece of fabric like it's basically see-through you could see my boob tape through it mm-hmm. and it pulled like the the fabric pulled the first time i wore it mm-hmm. and it was like a hundred bucks so i'm like that's crazy am I already convinced that i like this and then i feel good and hot in this even though it's like not really performing you know mm. like it's it was very interesting for me to think about that after the fact because I went, after I bought the first one and I wore it, I went and bought the second one literally the next day. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's what they were relying on. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And it, I think that's how a lot of those products work. For sure. Yeah, 100%. My final kind of question for you is, is we talked a lot about people wanting so desperately to be talent and whether that's influencers or vloggers or whatever as somebody who has very successfully achieved that and is continuing to build on that what are some pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who wants to use social media as a tool to build their career yeah that's a great question i would say to think about it as a digital portfolio like think about it as a website if you can't build a website you can you know showcase different pieces of your art that's literally how i started and i think that honestly like you know if you get five likes on something or five followers that's fantastic that's the size of an e-board for a social you know for a club right you're talking to five people five co-workers if you get a hundred people wow you're talking to an entire college seminar right right you have a thousand people wow, maybe you've sold out an entire room for a conference. You're talking to 10,000 people. Oh my God, wow, you're like really on the big stage at a, at a theater or at, at a big conference. You're talking to 100,000 people. Well, that's almost you know a little bit bigger than the LA Coliseum, right? Where, where you watch football. Wow, you're talking to a million people. That's 10 times that. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. 
And so I think when you're just starting out, it can be very challenging if you do enter the space to be like, I can't start until I have X followers. I can't start until blah, blah, blah. Like you can either get it done or you can make excuses. And I know that might be harsh and polarizing, but I think you can either choose to let your ego go and be like, I'm going to take a chance on myself and try to make this into a win if, if you want it enough. And, or you can, or you can settle and you can be okay with, uh, just like, I guess just, just not getting shit done. I I don't know how else to say it. Like I've always had this mindset that if you want something to happen, you make a blueprint and you work towards it. And if you don't, whatever you are, you're not, whatever you're not chasing, you're choosing. Right. Um, and so again, maybe that's harsh, maybe that's polarizing. And again, there's algorithms and this and that and the other, but I have friends who have started accounts like a couple days ago and, and they've continued to grow up. They're going to hit like 50 K in a couple of weeks. And, um, they just started an account and it's all about strategy and it's all about the overall game plan. I think also setting an intention, right? Oh, I want to get on social media. I want to grow. I want to grow. Why? What are you going to get out of it? What are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Are you looking to like people say build a community? I don't think people really understand the difference between community and audience. I think Agreed. audience are the are the people viewing community are the people with the purchasing power who are investing in you, who are coming out to see you, who are having you having conversations with you, buying your products. Uh, the the audience is simply the people engaging with and viewing your your content um and so i think sometimes people want an audience not necessarily a community Mm -hmm. because they're looking for validation with numbers right they're looking for those dopamine hits in that way and they're not trying to genuinely like do good like it's all about fulfilling their ego in some ways and so i don't know i mean i i think there's a lot that goes into it that uh honestly is just it's a lot of trial and error and it's a lot of grit and it's a lot of being scrappy and trying a bunch of different things and it's gonna take time like I've literally been doing this for seven years uh two and a half years full time and so yeah people think that it all happens overnight and it doesn't for some people it does like again like the Alex Earl example like a lot of those OG influencers in 2020 like yes I agree it did happen overnight for a lot of them however I think slow and steady does win the race at the end of the day that's a good piece of advice and definitely a great note to wrap this episode up on I appreciate your time Gigi and like all the things that you mentioned and contributed I think it's it's great to hear it from somebody else and not just me because that's what they're used to but um to hear somebody say that like instead of comparing yourself to somebody's chapter seven and being like, why am I not, you know, why am I not like Gigi? Why am I not on stages? Why am I not this? Like you Mm -hmm. seven years ago, you started from zero and, and that's like everybody's, everybody's path and that's completely normal. So it's cool to hear you say that out loud too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, fortunately I'm able to have amazing conversations with friends around me who are starting at level one or level zero right now and and conversations about jealousy and oh well like how are you doing this like what can I do like blah blah blah. and I'm like stand your worth like don't take anything unpaid and they're like no well this is what I need to do and I'm like yeah actually that is what I did at level zero like I did do a lot of unpaid stuff and like 
ethically, I want my friends to get paid. But at the same time, um, you know, they're like, you where, where I want to be where you're at. Like, I want to, I want to do that. And I'm like, it takes time. So there's, right. there's a lot of conversations, but again, like, I think if you could be real with your friends and really build that support system and talk intelligently about, uh, what they're doing, what they're trying to accomplish, it can help them also kind of catapult their success, which is all I want as a friend. For sure. Oh my gosh. Well, they're lucky to have you as a friend. <laughs> but yeah, it was good talking with you and and thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in to Kindly Gifted. To support the podcast, please leave a review, share with your friends, and don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow me on TikTok at KateMob for more creative secrets from the internet's momager. See you on the next episode of Kindly Gifted.